the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Praise to the God who reigns above. Jesus had begun his earthly ministry, teaching in synagogues, healing the sick, calling all men to repent and follow God. He had called 12 certain men to be a part of his work. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. But as we're here in Luke, he's written to us that we might understand that our faith is reliable, that we have a reliable faith. This is what really happened. He did research, interviews, made sure he got all the information straight, and he shared with us a reliable account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection we might know our faith is not something that's flimsy or based upon fables, but as he said to Theophilus, that you might know the certainty of those things wherein you have been instructed. We get here in chapter 5, Jesus' ministry is in full swing. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they have now left their fishing business, and they're now helping Jesus from city to city as they spread the good news that God will rescue anyone willing to repent from their sin. And as this news spreads, crowds are following Jesus wherever he goes. Matthew tells us that the events of Luke 5, verses 12 through 15, our topic this morning, he tells us that that this event happens right after the Sermon on the Mount. And that's where Jesus got away with his disciples to explain the principles of his kingdom. Here in these verses, as that sermon's over, we're going to see those principles lived out in a practical way. And as we do so, it's going to give us a glimpse of what we're supposed to be about as his church, what our vision here at Calvary Chapel Orlando is. So chapter 5, verse 12, it says, And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, Jesus, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And he put forth his hand and he touched him saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing according as Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Here we start off, and there's a significant event as he's in a certain city. It came to pass when Jesus was just in a certain city. Nothing significant about the city, but this is what's significant. Behold, a man full of leprosy. The word behold there means pay attention. Something significant just happened. Now, doctors back then classified leprosy into three categories. You had the dull white, 
which is when you first started recognizing something's up with my skin. The clear white, which is when it's starting to manifest itself in your body. And then the black, which is when things are bad. And Dr. Luke classifies this man's leprosy as that aggravated final stage. Full of leprosy is where the skin was blackened and rotting from the extreme nerve damage where you couldn't feel things so you'd injure yourself all the time. That's why Luke says, check this out, because a man like this shouldn't be in a city. In any city around the world, if you were a leper, you were in a leper's area. You did not come wandering into the city. Even more so for a Jewish leper, because a Jewish leper was required wherever he went to cry out, unclean, unclean. Because not only were you contagious or dangerous to people around you, you were ritually unclean, and therefore you could not participate in the worship of God or with the people of God. So wherever they went, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, coming through, so that everybody would get out of the way, and they would make sure they didn't become ritually unclean from contact with them. Not only is this guy in a city, but instead of getting out of the way when he sees Jesus, he approaches Jesus. For it says, who seeing Jesus, this guy in the final stage, aggravated stage of leprosy, sees Jesus, he comes and he falls on his face and he besought him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The word there to, he fell down, is the same word that was used for Peter in the boat that we looked at last week. It means to fall down in reverence and submission to the Lord. He is there just totally laid out, totally saying, I I need you, I, I need help, you're the only person who can help me. The word besought, it means to beg or to plead with urgency. He's begging Jesus, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I know you're the master. I know you're the boss. I know you're in charge. So all that matters is if you're willing, I know you can make me clean. The word for here for clean is interesting because it it has nothing to do with healing. It means to purify or to cleanse. It refers to ritual cleansing. So what he's asking here is, Lord, I know if you want, you can fix my whole life right now. You can give me back my life. Everything I lost when I got this leprosy, I know you can give me back my life. I want to reenter society. You're the only one who can do that. Leviticus 14 And if you were with us through Leviticus, we we studied this. But it's one of the most interesting chapters in the Bible because God actually gives instructions for when he heals a person with an incurable disease. He actually gives instructions for how they re-enter society. That means the concept that God would supernaturally heal people was a planned for event in scripture. That's why people say, you know, do you guys believe in healing at Calvary Chapel? I'm like, why wouldn't we? I'm like, God has always been doing this from the dawn of time. He supernaturally works in people's lives. The only question here, this guy knows the scripture. He knows that he can re-enter society, but it requires a supernatural event. The only question was, Lord, if you will, Jesus, did he want to do this or not? That's the only question in this situation. Now, when he says if there, there, I'll give you a little bit of a language lesson here. We say, you know, if then, you know, whatever, in our language. But in, in Greek, with the language of the New Testament, there are four types of what we call if-then as a conditional clause. There are four types. There's the one of assumed reality, which is, it's a fact. You know, we like, for example, when Satan said to Jesus, Jesus, if you be the son of God, then turn these stones to bread. We would normally translate that if as since. Since you're the son of God, it's an assumed reality. You are the son of God. We, everybody knows that. Then we have assumed unreality. Well, if pigs flied, but they don't. So obviously I I'm being sarcastic when I say it. I'll do that if, you know, the day pigs fly or something like that. Then we have the other two are probable possibility and improbable possibility. And I would tell you which one I meant by how you would construct the word if 
which however combination of words I would use. The leper here is interesting because he uses the word for probable possibility, which means he hopes Jesus want to heal him and allow him to reenter society, but he's not entirely sure. It's not assumed reality. It's probable possibility. And that paints a picture here of a very desperate man. Here's a guy who's in bad shape with no hope of getting out of it on his own. And his only hope is Jesus, but he's not sure Jesus wants to help him. I think that's interesting because that's a great illustration for how our sin puts us in a bad spot with no hope of getting out of it on our own. My only hope of rescue from my sin is Jesus. And, and if you're here this morning and you haven't recognized that, you need to. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you don't know Christ, if you're not a follower of Christ, you need to repent and become one. That the leper came to Jesus implied that he did know something about Jesus. No, he wasn't sure Jesus would want to heal him and fix him. But he did know something about Jesus. He must have heard about his compassionate healings from somebody for him to come like this. But that clause, the conditional clause he uses, shows that he has much to learn about Jesus still. Because you and I both know what Jesus' answer is, right? Of course he's going to help him out. When people first ask, ask me what Calvary Chapel Orlando is like, now I get asked that all the time. Oh, you're a pastor. What's your church like? When people ask me what our church is like, this is where I start. We exist here at Calvary Chapel Orlando as a place to learn about Jesus. Everything we do around here is going to have the emphasis of learning the Bible. Whether you're in our kids' ministry or you're in our main service, the bulk of our time is spent learning God's Word. It is the first emphasis of our church. When you walk around here, you maybe have seen or gone to our website, Learn, Love, Grow, Go, or our church app. That's why that's on there, because that's our first focus. Everything revolves there first. We're going to be in the Word. We're going to dig into it, because that's where we believe it all begins. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with everything we've got. But as we've been studying both in Sunday morning and Sunday evening, we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. So if we're going to love him and be obedient to him, we need to understand who Jesus is and how greatly he has loved us. Some of us come into church with very little knowledge of Jesus. Some of us come with a bit of knowledge, like this leper about Jesus. And then some of us come with ears of learning. Either way, we all still have more to learn. We go through the Bible here, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, in all of our services. It's what we do. That way, wherever you are in the learning curve, you're always able to grow in your understanding of Jesus. Verse 12 here doesn't leave us with much of a cliffhanger because while the leper is uncertain of what Jesus would do, our Savior's actions show just how much he loved him long before he answers him with words. Look here at verse 13. And Jesus put forth his hand and he touched him. Do you know that this was likely the first time this man had been touched by another human being in a long time? That Jesus did this instead of recoiling in terror or disgust must have melted this poor man's heart. You say, why? Why wouldn't anybody touch this guy? Well, anyone who touched this man became ritually unclean, barred from the presence of God's people, barred from the temple of God. But that doesn't stop Jesus from doing it. Jesus could have said, you know, sir, you've asked me a question. God does love you very much, and he is willing to heal you, but just stay over there and let me pray for you real quick from over here. I mean, he could have done that, but he doesn't. By touching the man before Jesus answers him, Jesus proved that God saw this man's pain, that God did love this man. Jesus was saying to the man, God is showing you right now through me. You say, well, it's just a touch. You're kind of stretching it there, don't you think? And I mean, people laid hands on the sick to pray for him back then. It's what they did. It's what we do now. There's nothing special about this touch. Well, there is. See, this word touch, it doesn't mean to touch. It means to hold on to, to see someone, to grasp someone. 
Jesus didn't just take his hand and touch this guy. He took his hand and then he wrapped his arms around this guy and he held him tight. He wanted all the uncertainty that was in this guy's request to disappear before Jesus ever answered him. That way the man would believe it when he did finally speak. You see, this man was sick and he didn't just long to be healed. He longed for his life back. He longed to be brought back into society. But more than anything, he needed to know that he was loved. Do you know how many people out there don't know that they're loved by God? Maybe you're here today and you might be one of those people. You think, I don't know if anybody loves me. And I don't think my spouse loves me. I don't, know. I don't know if my kids love me. I know my people at work don't love me. And my neighbor doesn't like me. Does anybody love me? When people ask me what Calvary Chapel Orlando is about, the very second thing I say to them is it's about love. You know, learning how much God loves us teaches us to love him back by obeying him and loving everybody around us. I want everybody to come in here and and sense that they're loved by God and they're loved by you guys. That should be the heart of all that we do, the focus of what we do. Now that means getting our hands dirty, taking the risk of becoming unclean, loving those that society has cast off or cast out, loving those who have hurt us or who could potentially hurt us. It means treating each other like family, even though we are so very different. Jesus told the church at Ephesus, you've left your first love. And because of that, it's a church without love. And therefore, if you don't repent, I'm leaving. Jesus doesn't like going to churches where there's no love. So whether you're being held in the nursery here as a little one or whether you're nursed back to health by the meals ministry, our goal is to have love undergird everything we do here because we want to be just like Jesus was with this man. You know, we want to learn. That's our big focus. We study the word, but we want it to translate to understanding his love for us so we love him and we love each other. Jesus showed this man that he was loved. He said to him, I will. Once he wrapped his arms around him and he took all that uncertainty away, he said to him, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. Jesus said, I want to do this. I do want to do this. And then he healed him. It's fascinating. Leprosy is something we can stop today. We can't fix the damage that's been done. We can stop what's happened. We can get rid of the bacteria, but we can't heal or cure the damage that's been done. Can you imagine what this guy felt like when all of a sudden it was all reversed? That immediately the damage to his body and his nerves was cured. He could feel again. Skin grew back. It changed color. I mean, can you imagine how excited this guy was? I mean, I wonder what his life was like. Was he married? Did he have a family nearby? I don't know about you, but I'd want to go immediately and celebrate being reunited to life again. I got my life back. But what's interesting is Jesus doesn't let him go back to his life. Jesus has other instructions for him. Verse 14, right after he's healed, Jesus says to him, he charged him. Mark tells us that he sternly charged him. In other words, you better make sure you do this. The word there, charged, it means, it's a command. It means to give orders. He ordered him to tell no man. But he says to him, go and show yourself to the priest. And then make an offering for your cleansing as courting as Moses commanded from Leviticus 14 for a testimony unto them. Every word, every verb here, everything that Jesus tells him to do is in the imperative, which means it's a command. This wasn't optional for this man. Leviticus 14 had a lengthy procedure for a healed individual to return to society. And Jesus wasn't okay with this guy violating God's procedures. He's healed now, but he needs to do things the right way. You say, okay, well, no biggie. Go have a conversation with the priest, do a ritual, and then go home and party, right? But remember, where is Jesus right now? He's in Galilee. Where are the priests? Not Galilee. They're all the way down in Jerusalem. Returning with friends, reuniting with friends and family would need to wait because obeying Jesus, obeying God's word required a long trek south and then an eight-day purification ritual. 
When we bring our massive problems to Jesus and he rescues us, it can be very tempting to go, whew, all right, all good now, and then go back to life as normal. But can I tell you that Jesus never wants us to go back to life as normal? After we've come to him, we're a new creation, right? After he fixes us, we're a new creation. He wants us to grow and to mature as his follower, to become obedient to God's word and to grow in our obedience to God's word, to truly plug back into society the right way by serving others instead of myself. You know, when people ask me what Calvary Chapel Orlando is about, I tell them it's about learning God's word. It's about loving each other and loving the Lord. But the third thing I say is it's about growing. We are not about getting people saved and then saying, bye, good luck, leaving you be. Nor are we about filling your head with knowledge so you can become some fat, happy, prideful, selfish sheep. I had a friend of mine who visited a local church. Doctrinally, they would be very similar to us in the sense that they believe the word of God is important. They believe Jesus is the son of God. He's the only way to heaven. But this guy was just a lowly vacuum clean repair guy. And he came in and the secretary, as he was there coming in, he said, hey, you know, hey, I'm here to do the repairs on all your vacuums that are bad. She didn't even look at him and look him in the eye. She's down the hall over here. He talked to a guy who was coming by as he was repairing him. He said, hey, you know, it's pretty cool because the pastor was a well-known pastor in there. It's pretty cool. Your pastor's this guy. The guy wouldn't even talk to him. The other guy on staff there. They had it right, but they had it so wrong. Our goal isn't to fill you up with knowledge so you can just be a big old prideful, selfish sheep that doesn't ever serve. Our goal in growing is to become more like Jesus every time we gather. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8, it says, and as we behold Jesus, like in a mirror, the Spirit of the Lord is transforming us, making us more like Jesus day by day. That's our goal. And as we grow, we we are to shed our self-oriented lives and become servants. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12 with me. And let's read verses 12 through 18. For as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of that one body being many are one body. In other words, I have lots of parts to me. Some of them are more skilled than others. Some of them I like more than others. Some of them are very, you know, my eyeballs. I don't cover them up. I need to see other parts. You're never going to see them. You know, I wear socks and shoes and there's a reason. In the same way is our church is Christ. For by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free. We have all been made to drink into one spirit. For the body's not one member. In other words, the body isn't the pastor. It's not the assistant pastor. It's, it's not the, the head usher. It's not the director of children's ministry. It's, it's none of those things. It's all of us. It's many. So if the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body. If you say, well, I, I don't do anything important around here. I'm just not going to do anything. No, no, no. You can't do that. You can't say that. Is it therefore not just because you don't feel like you're, you do something substantial? Does that mean you're not part of the body? No, you are. Or if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? No, of course not. For if the whole body were an eye, then where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? Some of you, we need you to be good noses for Jesus. But here it is, verse 18. But now has God set the members, every one of them, that's you, every one of you in the body as it has pleased him. Let me ask you this morning, where has it pleased God to put you in the body of Christ? Where are you taking ownership at Calvary Chapel Orlando? And how are you using your gift to serve others here and abroad? Listen, if you're not serving in any capacity, then may I say that you're not growing the way Jesus wants you to? No one should just be showing up here. Look at Ephesians 4 with me. I'm not saying this to beat you up. I'm saying this to challenge you. If we're going to reach our our city for Christ, we have to do this. We can't just learn and love. We've got to grow. We've got to serve. Ephesians 4, Jesus in verse 8 
it, referring to him, it says, wherefore he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. When Jesus ascended to heaven, you know, he set us free. And, and not only did he set us free, but he gave us gifts that we might serve him. And it explains that he gave us some of those gifts were in verse 11. It says he gave some apostles. In other words, you know, God sent apostles to some churches, prophets to some churches, evangelists to some churches, and to some churches he gave pastors and teachers or pastor teachers. It's all one word there. It's not two different ministries. And why is that? Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up, the edifying of the body of Christ. How long are we supposed to serve and use our gifts? Until we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Anybody here perfect yet? Then we all need each other still. Under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? So we're not any more children. We're not immature, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and their cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, that we might all grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, that we might be more like Jesus, from whom the whole body is fitly joined together, where God has put us, joined together where God has put us, and compacted by that which every joint supplies. It's all strengthened when everybody's in their place, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part. And what does it result in? The body grows. It makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And doesn't that sound like a cool church to be at? Where everybody's plugged in, everybody's serving, everybody's doing their part, and we're all growing in the love of God. Doesn't that sound like a good church to be at? That's how it's supposed to be. And there are a ton of opportunities to serve here at CCO. Ton of them. To use your gifts or to grow in how to use your gifts. I'll talk about them at the end, end of our time today. But just know that God wants you to live out what you're learning here by plugging into one of those areas. No one should be disconnected. You know, in most churches, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. That's not God's design. Jesus did not call us to be fans. He called us to be followers. Fans cheer from the distance. They show up when things are good. What was it? Joel Embiid of the 76ers, he's all grumpy because, you know, now everybody likes the 76ers because we're winning. I'm like, yeah, because you guys were stunk before, you know? Now you're exciting. Now you're fun to watch. Before, it was just awful. That's okay to be a fan of that. Jesus didn't call us to be fans of him. He called us to be followers of him. John 13, in our scripture reading, we read about how Jesus washed the disciples' feet, and then he says, do you guys understand what I've just done to you? The servant isn't greater than the master. So if I did this to you, being your master, you call me master and Lord, and you're right. If I washed your feet, then so much more should you be doing that. You should serve each other. And he closed off by saying, if you understand these things and you do them, then you're really blessed. Then you're really blessed. The third focus of our church is growing and, and, and by serving and living out what we're learning. Even though this guy back in Luke chapter five was healed and he needed to grow by doing the right, things the right way, by following Leviticus 14, going down to Jerusalem, you know, going through the ritual of purification, you cannot expect him to stay silent after what happened to him. No one traveled that type of distance alone. So folk in the caravan, they would have asked, hey, why are you coming down to Jerusalem, bud? I, you know, with your family, whatever? And he, no, no, just me. Why are you coming down? Well, let me tell you what happened to me. And sure enough, when he told the story, news spread. The very last verse today we're gonna look at is Luke 5, 13, where it says, but even though Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priest and don't tell anybody, so much the more 
went there a fame abroad of him, of Jesus. And great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. You know what I love about this phrase where it says a fame went abroad of him? It means word of Jesus and what he did for this man walked around everywhere. Isn't that a cool phrasing? Like word of what Jesus did was walking everywhere. When people ask us about our lives, what we're doing or why we're doing it, Jesus should come up in the conversation somewhere. Word of what he's done in my life should be walking around wherever I am. And that's the fourth thing that I share about Calvary Chapel Orlando when people say, what's your church like? I say, we're about going. Our website says, we believe that experiencing God's love, learning his word, and applying it to our lives will give us a burden for every human being. As such, our goal is to go outside these four walls and give our lives away like Jesus did in order that others may come to know him. We spent the entire month of March being taught and challenged about missions, right? And then one of the main themes during that time was that we're all missionaries. All of us are called to make disciples. Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, it says, go into all the world and make disciples of all men. The very first way you make disciples is by going. Making disciples starts with the word go. I can't wait for unbelievers to show up at church to get saved. Well, you know, I'll just pray and the pastor will, he'll give a gospel message and people will get saved. Eight out of 10 people get saved from one-on-one interaction from another believer. That's just the truth of it. Now they may get saved at church, but it's because you poured into their life and then they finally came. You know, I might reap the harvest, but really you're the one sowing all the important seeds. I must participate in leaving the comfort of my life and my desires to spend time with those who don't know Jesus, to show them God's love in practical ways, to tell them the good news, to invite them to church. Now, if the thought of sharing your faith with a coworker or a neighbor or a family member terrifies you, well, that's why it's important we grow, right? <laughs> that's why important we get, it's important we get plugged in. See, growing doesn't happen magically. You must choose to plug in, to learn, and to build relationships with other mature believers so you see how they do it. You must choose to take the time to get equipped for the great task Jesus has set us on. Because of this guy's awesome testimony, more people went looking for Jesus. And it says great multitudes came together to listen to him, share about the gospel of salvation from sin, and to be healed by him of their infirmities. It's really simple. Because a man began, who began his day ostracized from the world experienced Jesus' love. His changed life impacted others who then experienced the same thing he did. And that's what Paul told Timothy. I want you to be a faithful man and to teach men to be faithful men who will teach men to be faithful men who will teach men to be faithful men. And so it goes on and on and on from 32 BC to 2018. That's what we're charged to do. And that's what the church is all about. Learning more about the Lord who loves us, loving him back and loving everyone he created, growing to be more like him by being a servant, and going out of the, our, our bubble of life to share what we've experienced with others. Learn, love, grow, go. That's our vision at Calvary Chapel Orlando. And that's the way we're going to turn Orlando upside down for Jesus. Let's be doers of the word, not hearers only. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.